0: Thank you. Watson Spiva, president of Complete College America. I have the pleasure today to welcome Dr. Chuck Ambrose, chancellor of Henderson State University. He is a longtime leader of, in higher education, having served as president of Pfeiffer University, president of the University of Central Missouri, and the former president and CEO of Knowledge Works. Now having served as chancellor since November 2021, Dr. Ambrose has met with a number of successes and challenges in this new role. He has had to lead the organization, the institution, through a number of transitions, and is excited about the future of the institution. And we're here today to talk about what institutional transformation looks like on the ground. I'm here today to welcome Dr. Chuck Ambrose. Thank you, Chuck.
1: Hi, Yolanda, and I. Uh, I certainly have appreciated our friendship, and more importantly, I, I've appreciated the key learnings and friendships that I've maintained with Complete College America. So it's it's great to be with you.
0: Yes, absolutely. You know, we talk at Complete College America about how institutional transformation can take place through changes in policy perspectives and practice. And I think sometimes it sounds like a slogan, but I believe that what you're doing at Henderson State University is really putting those pieces in place. And I know you've made a number of reforms, um, but before we get there, I'd love to talk first about, especially for other leaders in higher ed or other practitioners I presume you were recruited to to serve as a chancellor. What did that process look like? I mean, were you aware of some of the challenges you were going to face? And then what condition or what state was the institution in when you got there? Let's just start there so that folks can level set around what it means to take on a presidency of an institution that is likely going to have to, you know, have you lean in very deeply um, and urgently in the beginning.
1: Yeah, Yolanda, you know, the last time we talked, I was, CEO of a national philanthropy in in Ohio. And, you know, in the midst of 2021, uh, like a lot of people, you really had to ask, what's my real core? Why and where am I? And I felt this real need because of my journey in in post-secondary to get back where I thought I could probably make a bigger difference. And uh, at the same time, related this to some of my friends, I, I was still, you know, somewhat guilty sitting on the sidelines. You know, i would seen a lot of friends, colleagues, uh, institutions uh, lead in ways that they never thought they would ever have to through COVID and uh, never second guessed anyone's decisions or or how they responded, but knew if there was a time uh, of transformation for higher education with the systemic disparities that global pandemics and literally the after effect of a recession, you know, back over a decade ago, the time for change was now. And I I think coming to Henderson, uh, I knew, right, that this was going to be a a really extraordinary experience because change is is so difficult, right, for for higher education. And uh, this is certainly a campus uh, within a state that that demonstrates what happens when you wait too long. Um, And In the midst of that, uh, and I know we're going to talk intently uh, about what change should look like for students, the consequences, right, of what change management can mean, uh, you know, in in real time at a level that that we've had to experience. So, you know, if you looked at Henderson, it has all of the structural challenges that private institutions face, Yolanda, uh, enrollment-driven discount rates, Mm-hmm. Uh, debt-driven improvements, you know, a lot of the things that I experienced 12 years uh, as President of Pfeiffer. Uh, yes. And so, th- there was some key learnings that I knew I could bring with me from where I started. Uh, and at the same time, uh, when I went to, to Central Missouri and, you know, one of those early Alliance members that benefited so much from the key learnings was CCA, uh, you know, the, the agenda we set for college completion over a period of eight years, you know, led us to the highest completion rates in the state mm-hmm. and, and knew that the public sector, right, in terms of mission, had an elevated need, especially in the midst of a pandemic, to think differently about our outcomes. And so those, uh, you know, those public and private experiences that kind of found itself, you know, some of them structural deficits, all at the same place at the same time, led for a, an extraordinary opportunity to hopefully not only help the campus and community, but offer some structural tools and and, uh, considerations for strategies that could help change make across higher ed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As I looked at your April 2022 letter to the campus community, I, no- I noticed that you noted some of those structural deficits. And one was the fiscal deficit, um, as defined by your overall cash position and significant shortfalls in annual operating revenues. You also talked about the student success deficit. And of course, as CCA, we're con- certainly concerned about that and the implications of the other types of deficits. But you defined that based on your overall low persistence and completion rates and how that actually affected net tuition revenue. Uh, student accounts receivable and available cash balances and then the last one was the instructional allocation deficit and you defined that by the overall levels of your instructional spend compared to the revenue generated and attributed to the academic programs can you talk a little bit about the assessment that you made in order to understand that those three structural deficits existed and then the steps you began to take to get at each of those the fiscal the student success and the instructional allocation deficits
1: You know, that really does define uh, the work and and in some ways, some of the structural deficiencies maybe that we all know, Yolanda, uh, that we we know exist uh, and we also know the tools we probably are required to use and presidents and chancellors, institutional leaders, boards, you know, they work really hard, right, to both close those gaps, uh, but you work really hard not to have to use all of these tools uh, as aggressively as, as we found ourselves. The financial was really well documented. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, our first real non-compliance to HLC, uh, our responsibility to our, our federal financial aid was back in 2017, and you know, from that point there were some decisions made that really drove the target further away. 2018, we had the highest enrollment and the lowest net tuition. Right, right. so mm-hmm. our, our discount rate and necessarily uh, needing to, to buy enrollment in our first real uh, cash crisis was back in 2019 when the state of Arkansas had to provide us $6 million to make payroll through the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, through the process, Yolanda, there was, a, there was acknowledgement of the, and actually there was probably a primary focus on more of the fiscal deficit. Yes, But when we arrived, uh, when I arrived in November, the real storm clouds, right? Being late, paying bills, having uh, concern about setting aside cash for debt service, certainly uh, receivables that were beyond description, right? With Mm -hmm. 6,000 students owing us over $10 million residing in our accounts receivable. And then, uh, you know, worrying, right, this summer about payroll. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I said, you know, we don't have any cash, you know, Um, you, you don't worry about those things. Uh, usually in a public institution, very extraordinary, right? To, to yes. find yourself as cash deprived. Pub, you know, privates that, that can be somewhat of a standard operating uh, mm-hmm. culture, right? To make it through the fiscal year, have enough cash to to make payroll through the summer, but very very unusual. So the, the first tool that uh, we built, and I have to give credit to Bernadette Hinkle, who was here really in a, a an A V P role, uh, was a modified cash budget. And in December, we began operating to cash. And uh, again, that modified cash budget put all your budgets, all your projections, all your uh, and just was basically cash in and cash out. That's right. And the cost containment uh, that we've had to affect uh, literally in the first six months uh, of the calendar year, the last six months of a fiscal year, pretty well documented that they've been as aggressive over the shortest amount of time. Uh, You know, we produced over four million dollars of payroll savings since January, and as you can imagine, our cash position increased. You know, it it improved, but no president or chancellor wants to furlough, right? Everyone, faculty and staff, twenty percent of time and compensation, very, very hard on a community, right? And so, a a lot of these cost containment uh, decisions only were really improving cash. They, they weren't solving for the other structural deficits. Mm -hmm. But probably, Yolanda, most relevant to this conversation and and certainly to a practitioner's perspective, the the hardest impact was on our most at-risk students. Yes. So, you know, two-thirds of our students, first-generation students of color, Mm -hmm. Pell-eligible. When I first started looking at Henderson, students with the highest need, the lowest estimated family contribution, were paying a higher share of their educational costs. And so we were extending privilege through merit aid, trying to, to make enrollment happen. But our at-risk students were not only having a, a difficult time in transition to college, but when they decided to leave, they couldn't pay. Mm-hmm. And Yolanda, it's very helpful. It's a, it's a powerful tool about a lifetime through value of a student. 10,809 students that have enrolled since 2017 Nearly half are no longer here or don't have a degree. And uh, in our receivables, that represents close to 70% of the amount that's accumulated, which is $6.8 million. But again, uh, disparities uh, across race, you know, our students of color shouldered a higher percentage, right, of that amount. So when you take completion rates that are the lowest for a public four year uh, in Arkansas, persistence rates, 56 percent retention, you know, fall to fall over the last year. It's pretty clear, right, that our student success outcomes are our biggest driver, right, of inequity um, and uh, and had to be closed. And of course, we recognize that right across the enterprise to say that uh, the value of a college degree is, is extraordinary for those who achieve it. It's just that we're still at a place of not moving the needle, right, uh, in terms of the success rates that can really close gaps uh, and erase those systemic disparities, especially uh, in light of COVID. And then the, the the last, right, which is the most difficult is we're people business you know we had 75 percent of our instruction was delivered by full-time tenure track or tenured faculty it was very uh, difficult i'll say this it was impossible to reallocate resources with the structural impediments that are kind of in place with that kind of instructional allocation mm-hmm. uh w- without the very significant recommendations that we made through the financial exigency process. There was literally no way to produce the the degrees of cost savings without eliminating 37% of instruction uh, and the number of programs that we had to eliminate.
0: So Chuck, first of all, thank you for walking me through that. And, and I know, I mean, I, I've um, led organizations that have been through this very same process and um, operating under severe austerity in order to try to get to dig yourself out of the hole. And as I think about, especially the part that you mentioned about being a people business, the faculty, the staff, and the students in particular are typically the most um, impacted. So you talked about you know how you got here, not you as an individual, but how the institution got here. I mean, you all were founded, I believe, in 1890. You've been a longstanding public institution. And yet you said that there were things that were, you know, you waited too long to address certain issues, right? So as I think about some of our listeners who may be leaders or practitioners who may be missing some telltale signs that could tell them early on um, where they can sort of stop the bleed before it gets to this point of financial exigency, just maybe the top, you know, three to five things you can think of from this experience and others that you would say, if you're having some of these issues early on to begin to intervene early proactively so that you're not in this predicament that you've uh, found yourself in at Henderson State? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, Yolanda, that's a, that, that's a uh, critical question, right? And I've had so many key learnings with thought partners and friends o- over the years. One of those, Rick Staislop puts it very simply, mission, market, margin. There's alignment, right, over uh, who you are and who you serve and uh, your role especially uh, as a public institution uh, about mission that, that needs to be clearly understood uh, right and aligned uh, across how uh, you allocate your, your resources. At the same time, uh, you know, the, the greatest concern today, and I think you know, between the, the federal stimulus dollars being drawn out and mm-hmm. the value proposition of college, uh, you know, our market's changing so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Who our students are, what they really believe the value of a degree is, workforce opportunities and challenges. But I would actually, Yolanda, from a tool building and and what are those signs, yes. uh, I would actually start at the other end of the continuum and and just say that the most powerful tool uh, is knowing what the net unit cost basis of, of delivery Really, what does it cost to deliver your, uh, your institutional mission? Uh, how much net, right, productivity uh, is your academic program generating? And uh, is it sustainable, right, from uh, the resources that you allocate? And probably one of the most powerful days on a campus, right, is, is when you take that academic portfolio and understand what your costs are and what your revenues are. Now, again, Henderson kind of sits on the outer boundaries of the extreme, right? So when you look at a net cost basis and have no academic programs at the undergraduate level driving net revenue to sustain other programs, which typically, right, within a a portfolio, you'll find that you've got key drivers, signature programs, high enrollment, Mm -hmm. low cost, delivery. Mm -hmm. When you don't have any, right, it, it makes those decisions much more difficult, right, in terms of how you prioritize and how you allocate resources. And so as we moved forward, we have an opportunity to redefine, right, the outcome metrics that we want to perform to. Because again, our our mission market margin alignment had failed, yes. right? We literally were failing our students. Now, the students who were graduating from Henderson were extraordinary. And the quality of instruction uh, and the outcomes generated by our faculty in that instruction was, was very high quality. It just wasn't working for the majority of our students, right? Mm-hmm. So that was what kind of provided the non-sustainable designation of, of the model. But as we move forward, right, we can redefine up against the, the outcomes that we believe that will actually restore somewhat of the value proposition of why college uh, is, is so critical. And, and again, the AAUP defines exigency uh, this way right? It's uh, an academic restructuring that institutions usually wait too long or don't use at all, Mm -hmm. right? That puts the long-term survival at risk. So when you see uh, in higher ed media, right, that balancing the budgets up against program eliminations, uh, that's not what we've done here, right? This is literally the question of institutional survivability and how do you repurpose? Because it would be fair to say uh, nationally, we've got too many colleges all doing the same thing and just don't have enough students, right? Mm -hmm. So our supply really outruns the the demand. Mm -hmm. And so we either create a new value proposition for college or uh, we're all riding along this rocky bottom together.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because I think if you're not constantly evaluating your market and then also what that demand looks like, it looks like for you all, you did, especially uh, under the financial exigency plan, um, looking at new degree programs and new certificate programs and you're having teach outs for some of the others, right? So you obviously had to utilize data to understand where programs were undersubscribed, um, but having a high cost and that sort of thing, and the, the cost versus revenue was incompatible. So when you have people that have sort of the sacred cow programs is what I like to call them, the ones that they just love and they, they, they've they been longstanding and they've been here for a while, You know, faculty are sometimes wedded to the, the classes they like to teach, the programs they like to continue, students have the programs they like. How did you, especially from a data informed process a value proposition model how do you move faculty and staff from the sacred cow conversation to really being informed by the data that tells you you know these these programs just will not persist into the future under the current configuration of cost versus revenue what's that conversation look like yeah
1: well and i I think what you just underlined yolanda is one of those critical elements right is in terms of change management and why it's so hard Mm -hmm. um In in this case, the the depth and breadth, right, of our deficits really um, disallowed the the conversation about sacred cows. I mean, there Mm -hmm. are programs that mean significant history, heritage outcomes for alumni at Henderson, Mm -hmm. um, you know, across the South Central United States. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, we were operating uh, at such a deficit from a net revenue basis there's somewhat of having to kind of hedge for the future of where that target's going to be rather than almost saving anything. And, and that's very difficult. And uh, a- again, it's easy to look across a former teacher's college. It's, it's easy to look across a public liberal arts and know how valuable the arts, uh, how va- valuable the humanities, uh, how valuable the pre-professional programs are, no question. But when that model blows, right, and, uh, and it has such a, a detriment on student persistence and, and outcomes, then you have to, you're, you're actually designing, right, to a, a new set of performance metrics. And mm-hmm. uh, so we, we had an incredible partner in Huron. We had a, a great team. I think, as I think about it with uh, other leaders, data-informed storytelling. So the transparency of exactly where we are the recommendations to declare exigency, the, the recognition that, you know, the, the institution was really on the brink uh, was not hard, right, to gain a degree of consensus. Matter of fact, it had been recognized over years. So as you think about that data, the, um, the productivity model was built off cash. And, and I would actually suggest that in regards to really tracking what the, the integrity of your operating Budget is and yes. your operating revenues because uh, budgets and uh, endowments and reserves they they can mask right a, a lot of blims and blemishes that can uh, accumulate over time. Uh, usually, the more reserves and endowment uh, you have, just the longer you have until you kind of recognize what the overall operating uh, integrity is. And so, uh, a model built in our case in a public institution off cash is pretty extraordinary, right? And again, it was so, so apparent, right, uh, of the changes required that we used uh, EMSI labor data, Department of Labor Statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we looked at our completion rates. We looked at a 60-mile radius, the state, uh, and then states that border Arkansas. To ask this question, Yolanda, and you know, we see it every day now, what are the, the needs, the, the talents, the competencies the drivers, right, for workforce that's going to meet the needs of our community, right? What are the, what are the greatest needs? And then how do we align uh, our learning pathways to, to make certain we've got career readiness? Because, uh, you know, our uh, intentionality is, is that this next generation of learners, and it's something I certainly gathered from KnowledgeWorks, the agency, right, of this next generation of learners Uh, in the ways that they can learn and what they want to accomplish when they learn is is really liberating, right? And so I think college is only, uh, we're only 10 years behind healthcare. You know, we're going to be funded on the basis of outcomes, and those outcomes are going to be defined, right, in how much value you can create for that learner uh, and what they're they're going to become. So basically aligning our programs uh, and our learning communities to these major themes, these meta themes and meta majors, it wouldn't surprise you right? To say that our communities need entrepreneurs and innovators uh, and those with business skills or health education and social sustainability. You know, the deficits across the rural United States and certainly rural South Central Arkansas would say that there are vital, right, talents that are required to keep our communities sustainable. Applied professional science and technology are the high demand fields, right? We have a, an aviation program, and did you try to fly last weekend, right? There's no, there's no pilot, right? So, what are those high-demand competencies uh, that can lead students to be competitive uh, and uh, also right meet the needs of communities? Is why I believe as future students are going to choose Henderson, and we can't do it by ourselves. So we've had this huge influx both in the solutioning for teach out, uh, but also the creation of how we think differently about online, in-person, hybrid geogra- you know, geography. Uh, there's all kinds of tools to create, a, you know heightened outcomes and and greater efficiencies. So driven right off what communities need. But then uh, obviously there's a little providence in our partnership with CCA. The absolute requisite of this model, Yolanda, is that we have to get students across the finish line uh, with a degree.
0: Absolutely. And I want to talk about the future because we're getting close to our close here. I want to talk about the future of Henderson State University. But before I do, I just wanted to have I wanted to engage one more process question. Um, I know earlier you mentioned some of the key partners and you called out Bernadette Hinkle by name. So I want to give her name again. But I wanted to also say ask you not by name, but by functions. Who else was involved? Because I think sometimes people think about this process as being president and board, like it happens top down from on high, right? But I know there had to be a number of strategic partners from across the university, cross functionally, cross departmentally that were engaged. If you could just talk a little bit about that to help our audience understand what this looks like as you're building this process from the ground up.
1: So it's critical, Yolanda, and I appreciate you asking that. And it would have been a huge miss on my part not to acknowledge and Matter of fact, the National Association of System Heads under the the leadership of Nancy Zimper, right, is is talking about systems matter. And I know she's engaged with you. Uh, Governance, right, really matters. And the lifeline that really probably provided uh, the greatest hope, right, of the future was the Arkansas state system. Mm -hmm. Right. We we were self-governing, you know, that self-government with board uh, leadership, uh, shared governance you know, is one of those elements that kind of broke down and under the leadership uh, of of our system head. uh, And then the resources, we've had incredible uh, resources provided both at centralized at the system level, but a number of shared service agreements with Arkansas State University Jonesboro. If I gave you the back of the house support that we did not have capacity, we've lost over 100 positions since January. It, It actually accelerates right, the model that we all should be exploring uh, about uh, duplication, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. technology, uh, and uh, governance. And so uh, the Arkansas State University Board uh, has been uh, one of those key elements of the freedom and protection, uh, right, coefficient uh, for change management, got to have the freedom to act, but you've got to have the protection because uh, these hard decisions nobody likes anymore. Uh, I, I don't know if you know, but my social media presence has really magnified uh, yes. here uh, more recently, and that's what leaders uh, have to persist through, right? And and really, no one wants to, right? I've no, I've never led. Matter of fact, I had a, a, a really a close executive assistant one time said, "You'll be a great college president, but you can't keep everybody happy," right? And. Uh, I've learned that uh, over almost a quarter of a century, right? But it's still, it's just no, no, no um, nobody wants to, to impact people uh, and, and make them stressed or anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, again, we're in that, that people business. But the system, Yolanda, uh, and the resources that they have provided, and I can, if I name the people, it, it, it's just. Uh, their willingness right uh, to be a part of, of change uh, the willingness to want to do what's right for students yes uh, and it's really beyond scope of, of you know I kid several colleagues that uh, you know a day without Henderson's like a day uh, you know with with sunshine right because mm-hmm. I, I, I we've relied on them so heavily uh, and, and we're so indebted so
0: yes well I first of all let's look forward for a minute um, so you've had this period of understanding the institution, instituting some changes. It's been some difficult days for you, but also of course for faculty and staff and students, right? And you mentioned, I I appreciate you bringing up the equity issue. Um, CCA just released a report called No Middle Ground, and it actually talks about equity and how we kind of have to understand, we can't stand on the sidelines around the equity issue. And I appreciate you bringing out how this, uh, what you've undergone at Henderson actually some in some ways exacerbated the inequities, but then also help to show you places where the inequities exist. So it gives you a roadmap for the future. So as I think about the future, I looked at some of the Uh, changes that you've made like your current structure had the three colleges the teachers college the school of business the ellis college of arts and sciences and then now you're moving to meta majors which you know cca certainly promotes meta majors. so i appreciate it seeing um that you all are doing that we know the effectiveness of meta, meta majors and you have health education and social sustainability being proposed applied professional science and technology business innovation and entrepreneurship and arts and humanities, going back to those demand issues that you mentioned in looking around your state, but also the bordering state. So tell me in your honest opinion, Dr. Ambrose, is the future bright for Henderson State? Can Henderson State be saved? Is it gonna have a bright future? Will students return? Will it be back to its heyday and its glory day? Will it be better than before? Tell, tell me, portend the future for me um, at Henderson State University.
1: Yeah, and, and let, let me just, uh... Absolutely, y- y- Yolanda, and the, the power of Henderson and the, 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 the hope for the future is, is bound in our students, right? These, mm-hmm. these students who have that promise of college, but in two commencements, Yolanda, if I told you the purposefulness of why I go to college and what I hope to do with my degree, uh, if, if we can reverse, right, and flip the model and and really think about a a learning community where we provide the the supports for every student, but more particularly our our most at-risk students. If if we're really thinking about risk management and our job being removing the risk that gets in students' way that keeps them from the degree, Mm -hmm. uh, our world's going to to be a lot better. And uh, these students, And those who have persisted through this community, we have an incredible new leadership team, a a chief learning officer who is a Henderson alum, and um, she came out of public uh, education. She was director of our curriculum and instruction, so she's got a heart for teaching. But, you know, Yolanda, if you ask the question, right, you taught me this from CCA, right, the two greatest predictors of college completion is going to class, right, and someone who makes a difference.
0: Yes. Well,
1: our chief learning officer, along with the program directors that we've been able to flatten our administrative structure, lower our our overhead spend, but these are the individuals whose students point to and say they have made the difference, Mm -hmm. right? And um, not only can it be bright, but I think it can look in a way forward about how higher education should look in Arkansas 10 years from now. Yes, And we have an incredible partnership that is uh, ready for the announcement. Stay tuned. Very close. We're within days, right, right, with the Arkansas Department of Education to think, right, because, you know, I'm a, a big proponent of P20. I, I, I'm a, a huge proponent of accelerated pathways for students. Uh, and obviously coming from KnowledgeWorks, I believe, right, that students are equipped to own their learning in ways. Sooner, but uh, the Secretary of Education and, and his team in Arkansas understood that, right? So uh, we're going to work together, and, and I, I believe you would love this as president of CCA uh, on the, the types of predictive tools that we can use, right, to uh, lift towards aspirations, but also to mitigate uh, risk from a care and crisis mentality of flipping the model, right? We want to lead the nation in persistence, lead the nation for degree completion. And uh, we, we absolutely want to serve students, uh, not only the 50% in Arkansas who go to college, but Yolanda, we've got 50% of the high school graduates in Arkansas not going to college, yes. right? And so it, it's really thinking differently about is college possible and redefining who our students are and then working in partnership, right? And again, the system, the Arkansas state system uh, in partnership with secondary education gives us a chance to really think credentials, uh, micro-credentials all the way through to lifelong empowerment uh, in ways. I I think the the future absolutely can not only be bright, but you know as well as I do that that college is not going to to look anywhere like it used to, right? right. Uh, And uh, and that's a good thing, right? I think we've extended privilege uh, long enough and now we have to create privilege for all. And if we don't close these gaps, they're, they're going to be uh, innovative, more cost-effective, uh, easier to obtain tools that students will find to help make them successful. Our, our challenge is, are we gonna be one of those tools or not?
0: Well, I, I believe you, I agree with you, and I think you're the right leader for this, this time. I mean, I know you'll take Henderson State University to the next level of its uh, ability, capability and greatness. I want to thank you for joining to thank everyone in the audience for joining us for this episode of CCA on the air with Dr. Charles Ambrose. For more episodes, please visit Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Don't forget to visit our website, completecollege.org and create a profile for more access to CCA resources. Thank you, Chuck.